Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I'm an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting next to me, as always, is the sunny and genial senior writer, Jonathan Strickland. Hey there. <laughs> oh, I totally after, took the wind out of your sails. After that, that build-up, I just, you know, yeah, I couldn't, I love couldn't it. follow that. I love it. So uh, today we're going to talk a little bit. You know, you might remember uh, several podcasts ago, we, we kind of compared uh, the paper technology world and the computer technology world. I do remember that. Uh, well, we started thinking about other topics we could talk about that are kind of related to that. And one of those is an interesting question that, a, a couple of people have asked, not just us, but in general. And that question is, how much electricity does the Internet require to work? Lots. Yeah. But if you wanted fact, to get a little more specific. Actually, nobody knows. <laughs> yeah. For sure. We we can we can get that out of the way. First thing we're going to go ahead and, and be completely straight with you guys. It is practically impossible to say with any degree of certainty how much electricity the Internet requires to work. Part of the reason for that is that you're talking about such a massive machine, really the biggest machine in the in the world, and it's constantly changing. It's growing all the time. Uh, the components are changing all the time. So what might be true today could be completely false in a year from now. It may be that perhaps... 18 more data centers go online in every region in the United States, and, and that could change things. It could be that some sort of massive energy-saving technology comes out, and that could that could impact it. So when we talk about how much electricity the Internet uses, keep in mind we're talking about estimates and vague ones at that, because a lot of the data that exists out there that people base the, these sort of estimates on – is more than a decade old. Yeah, and um, it's one of those things, too, where people are sort of extrapolating based on numbers that they do know. Right. So, I mean, they're educated guesses when we, we do have an idea of what's going on. Yeah, I mean, think of it this way. Even if we knew down to the very last device how many computers and smartphones and everything else were connected to the Internet, including servers, even if we knew all that, we don't necessarily know how often they're connected to the Internet. So just because a computer's on doesn't necessarily mean it's actually making use of the Internet. So it's not putting a drain on any resources. So then you're talking about, all right, well, now we have to estimate not only how many devices are out there, but how how much time they're spending on the Internet. Right. So this is really about as fast and loose as you can possibly get and still have something to talk about. Well, we do know that the uh, the machines that are using the most electricity on the Internet are the servers, the data centers, which are sort of little Internets in a way. Yeah, you could you could say that the data centers on a on an individual basis, the server in a data center is using more electricity than any person's computer, really, mm-hmm. um, unless you're talking about, I guess, a, a supercomputer, in which case that's a little different. But. If you're talking about sheer numbers, mm-hmm. there are so many computers out there that if you were to look at at least some of the figures that I looked at, 
the biggest drain on the the electric grid of the the world, really, not just the United States, comes from consumer and corporate computers, not from data centers. And that's because just from a sheer scale, you're talking mm-hmm. about a, 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 just a, a huge uh, difference in numbers. So data centers, yeah, there are a lot of them and there are thousands of servers in these data centers, but we're talking millions and millions of computers or even perhaps one billion computers. <laughs> but that, I think that was a figure that was arrived at maybe a year or two ago. And so, again, not necessarily accurate now. There are probably even more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also then we get into what is a computer. Before we get too far into all of these kind of uh, vague discussions that are going to take up our next 20 minutes, <laughs> right? Uh, I think it might help to kind of talk about energy and electricity in general oh, and about okay. how that's measured. Sure. So we generally talk about electricity in a term called kilowatt hours, which is a unit of energy, and it's essentially the equivalent to one kilowatt of power expended over the course of one hour. All right. Okay. So the reason why we do that is because energy is essentially a measurement of power times time. Mm -hmm. So it's the amount of power times the amount of time that that power is expended. That's how you get energy and kilowatt hour unit of energy. Now, when we're talking about global electricity use, as far as the internet goes, we're talking in the terawatt range, terawatt hour range. Right. And uh, to give you guys an idea, okay, so a kilowatt is a thousand watts. A megawatt is a thousand kilowatts. A gigawatt is a thousand megawatts. And a, uh, a terawatt is a thousand gigawatts. Mm-hmm. So huge number here. Enormous number. It's too big for me to actually imagine. I know what, it, I know it exists, but I can't fit it into my head. Right, right. It's nice of them to use these terms that we would probably be familiar with from uh, things like bytes. Yeah, it, it's megabytes. It's nice gigabytes. that it's not, you know, a jot and then a bitool and yeah. then four hand spans <laughs> and then a furlong. Yeah, that would be really confusing. Yeah, I think, I yeah. think so. Thank you for the metric system. <laughs> um, so here's a here's a study that was done back in 1999. Okay. Right. Right. And it was done by Berkeley Labs Environmental Energy Technologies Division, ah. the End Use Energy Forecasting Group, led by Dr. Jonathan Kumi, who I have uh, I've seen his notes on several different message boards about this su- subject. That's true. That's true. Dr. Kumi is uh, still very much active in this kind of uh, study. Now, back in 1999, the Berkeley group actually had money to conduct this study. I think he said that it cost somewhere around the $300,000 range. Wow. To do this study. Cause you, you're, you're compiling lots and lots of data. You have to gather all this information and then you have to make sense of it. And, um, and that actually does take a lot of time and money. It sounds like it shouldn't, you know, it sounds like something you could plug into Wolfram Alpha and get an answer <laughs> immediately. It's not the way this works. So. Their analysis said that the uh, total electricity used by office and network equipment is about 74 terawatt hours per year, uh, which was about 2% of the total electricity use in the United States. And then if you were to throw in telephone switching equipment and manufacturing energy for semiconductors and computers, uh, it knocked it up to about 3% of all electricity in mm-hmm. use in the United States. So th- why would you throw in the telephone switching? Well, because 
modems. Right. The study is done in 1999. It was based on figures from 1995. Yep. And we didn't all have DSL lines and cable modems at that point. Right. And so we're talking 74 terawatt hours at that time. That's a huge amount. Yeah. Uh, and this was just for the United States, too. This was not a global study. So we're really talking about just one nation. But the other problem that we have here is that if you're talking about figures that are based off of 1995 equipment, a lot has changed in the the years between 1995 and now. Mm-hmm. We are using computers that have much more efficient monitors. We're using a lot more laptops, which in general consume less energy than uh, a desktop computer would. But there are also lots and lots more of them. So you have to figure, all right, well – the energy efficiency angle, how much does that impact this equation? The number of computers, how does that impact it? Uh, the um, And you start to see where the problem is here. You can't just easily adjust these numbers and say, oh, well, let's just, you know, we'll fudge this one a little bit and we'll switch this one a little bit. Um, without a full study, you can't say for sure how much energy is being uh, consumed. True enough. Um I actually, uh, I did a blog post yeah. on the uh, Tech Stuff blog not too long ago, um, that, uh, in which I quoted, uh, Bobby Johnson, who published in The Guardian, the paper from the United Kingdom. And, um, basically, uh, the information I had read, and there are actually a couple of articles in The Guardian about, uh, these topics. So apparently they are among those who are interested in finding out more. Um, but there are a lot of people who are starting to become concerned by the, the, uh, energy usage from the internet. I mean, um, from, from what I can tell, uh, experts believe that data centers on the internet, uh, use about 152 billion kilowatt hours of electricity per year. And that's 2% of the world's, uh, carbon dioxide emissions as well. Wow. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, a thousand searches apparently create about the same, uh, CO2 emissions as an average European car going one kilometer. According to the Guardian. So, um, you know, that's just, I figure a thousand searches in Google. That's, you know, probably as much as we do in a day at how stuff works with the editorial staff, maybe. Um, so I'm driving my Lamborghini one, one kilometer. Oh, it's average. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think a La- Lamborghini is an average European car. Although don't you could destroy ask, my fantasies of how people live in Europe. <laughs> although you could ask the, uh, the guys at high speed stuff if, if that's, that's true. accurate. That's true. I could, I'll, I'll stop in next time they're recording. But the, uh, thing is, um, the climate group says emissions related to computers are probably going to go up around 280%. That's 1.4 gigatons of carbon dioxide by 2020 uh, because the Internet is just growing at that sort of a rate. Wow. So that's um, that's pretty significant. Yeah. And back in 2007, there were some people who attempted to take another stab at guesstimating, essentially. I mean, I'm. <laughs> it sounds like I'm I'm slapping them for their their efforts. But really, when you get down to it, when you don't have the data in front of you, it is a guesstimation. And it's hard um, to quantify something like this, too, because it's so, you know, right. how would you break down the energy from somebody's uh, electric meter on the side of their house and say, oh, right. well, you know, your fridge used, you know, an eighth of this. Yeah. And you have to figure out or, well, as well, even with servers. I mean, there there's a difference between the amount of energy a server will consume at a peak time versus a, a trough. Right. Um, 
that's called that's called your your load differential there. You know your difference in load. And the uh, if you if you have a really efficient server, um, the difference is going to be minor, like within the five to ten percent range, where your your server will be uh, consistent and is not going to vary wildly from full use to, to trough use. And that's just meaning that it's very efficient, not that it's not that it's, you know, underpowered or anything like that. Right. Um, you know, bef- before we go on, I sure. was going to say too that I think that I'm, I'm just guessing, but I'm betting that the, um, the data centers, the facts and figures that we're seeing from the data centers probably don't take into account the massive amount of air conditioning needed to keep those machines cool. Right. Yeah. Some, you know, so you're not breaking down the different, you're, you're breaking down the building as a whole, you know, say, well, this Google data center uses X amount of electricity per year. Well, it doesn't say, well, part of that's the lighting for the people who work in the building. And part of that is the, you know, 53 air conditioning sit, uh, units sitting on the roof and all that stuff. It doesn't, it doesn't go any further than that. Yeah. Well, there's, and there are some, Studies that spe- specify whether or not they take that kind of thing into account, and mm-hmm. of course, not all data centers use air conditioning. Some use water cooling systems instead. Sure. And uh, I was going to mention something along those lines in a minute. Oh, all right. Well, then I'll I'll leave that for then. But the um, actually, I should say that when I said load differential, that's that's actually a, a my brain throwing a wrong word, and it should have been load factor. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say that now because I'm sure people are already emailing me. They, they paused the podcast yeah, and are writing but, to you right but now. But now that you've hit send, just know that I did eventually get around to getting it right. <laughs> um, so the, uh, but no, back in 2007, this other study that I was talking about, it's not even really a, a full study. Uh, there was a, a question online about, well, how much electricity does the internet use? And, and people were talking about this 1999 study and trying to extrapolate from that how much energy was being used at that time at 2000 in 2007. So uh, the person who tackled this came up with some interesting numbers. Uh, he decided that um, once he studied this carefully, he said that the world consumption in billions of kilowatt hours mm-hmm. for a for data centers was 112.5 billion kilowatt hours. Okay. All right. The uh, PCs and monitors 588 billion kilowatt hours. Wow. Modems, routers, and that sort of thing, 100, or 167 billion kilowatt hours. And then phone network, 1 billion kilowatt hours for a grand total of approximately 868 billion kilowatt hours. And that was in 2007. 2007. But so here's the thing ago. was that he was basing this off of figures from these older computers. Mm-hmm. So he's looking at power consumption figures from years and years ago. So we're talking about old CRT monitors, which were not as efficient necessarily as some of the LCD and plasma monitors that we have today. Yeah. You know, I, I um, saw a, a number on NPR that was interesting. Um, their website said that, uh, and this is not kilowatt hours, but um, they say that in the United States, more than $1 billion is spent every year keeping on computer monitors that are mm. not really in use. Right. So yeah, those monitors I don't know if do. that's, you know, how accurate that is, but that's... You know, I would, I believe it. People leave their computers on and, and, and screensavers are, are pretty, they, they're pretty energy and, uh, hungry. Yes. And, are. uh, yeah. So put your computers to sleep or at least your monitors. The, uh, so yeah, the, this 868 billion, it's one of those figures that some people like to 
to say that's how much energy the internet consumes per year. And other people point out, well, that's not really true because we don't have enough information. Uh, we don't, you know, this, this is taking into account old equipment. And yeah, while monitors have gotten better over the years, we've also had faster processors. Yep. which consume more power. So mm-hmm. as monitors have become more efficient, processors have demanded more energy. So it's, again, one of these sort of seesaw things. You have to look at all the different factors, and there's no easy way to say, all right, well, how many high-end computers are out there? How often are they accessing the Internet? How many low-end computers are there, like netbooks? How many netbooks? Those are accessing the Internet all the time because – they don't have the native capabilities to really do everything you need to do on the computer itself. Mm-hmm. So that's why this this conversation is a difficult one to have. But $868 billion, it's a good number to kind of keep in the back of your mind. That's sort of a best guess right now. But we're going to talk a little bit more about energy, I assume, because you had some stuff about water cooling systems at least. Yeah. Um, one of the uh, – you're talking about supercomputers. Uh, I ran across – some information about IBM's Power 575 supercomputer, um, which actually was linked to from one of the other posts. And I thought this was pretty cool because it's got, uh, it uses water chilled copper plates over each of its microprocessors. Wow. Um, and that's a lot because there are 448 processor cores on each rack of this supercomputer. Um, but the water cooling uses, uh, 80% less electricity. Mm. than you would using traditional cooling methods. So it's that, also much more efficient. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, because, uh, you know, using things like that could help us cut down. Yeah. When you think about it, um, water is just, it's a, it's a better cooling, uh, system because it, it, as a fluid, it is more efficient at carrying heat away. And you can just run water across, uh, you know, using some sort of tube system. Obviously, you're not just you're not just dousing servers in water necessarily. Yeah. You know, I, I tried that. I yeah. uh, just turned a hose on my computer, and it it's it doesn't run that well anymore, anymore no. at all. I yeah. don't know why. Yeah, that's probably a bad way to do a water cooling system. But if yes, you're doing it correctly, and the fire department was upset too. Yeah, I'm sure, the water the water will carry the heat away much more efficiently than air will, and you can then reclaim the water. You know, you you, you just cycle it exactly. You just you know move it through so that it can release the heat and you reclaim the water, you cycle it back through. So it's not like you're using tons and tons of water and it's just going to waste. You're using the same water you know, in the system and then occasionally I'm sure replenishing it, but not like uh, not like you just turn the tap on and let it go. Yeah, you know, I, I wish I hadn't made the uh, turning the hose on the computer joke because I was going to say, yeah, and if you put the fish in there, the, the heat kind of cooks the fish. But yeah. you know, I've already made a joke, so I won't make that Soup. one. Um, you know, one of the things that I found that was uh, funny was uh, – and, and the reason I find it funny is because it's so contested. But um, blogger and author Nicholas Carr mm-hmm. uh, said he, – he did a blog post that a lot of people disagree with a few months ago. But it said um, the Second Life avatars themselves, just keeping the avatars running, uh, use 1,752 kilowatt hours per year. The average human uses – 2,436 kilowatt hours per year, but, uh, about the person, the average person in Brazil, the average Brazilian uses 1,884 kilowatt hours. So basically second life, people in second life use almost as much electricity as the average Brazilian. He says now he's, you know, a lot of people disagree with him, 
But um, if it's even close to that, now they do. They leave uh, the company that that runs Second Life leaves the servers running, and the avatars are on for as long as. That's the thing. We they got in. They broke it down and said, well, you know, if the avatar is only on for two hours and there are you know such and such average people online, then it's not all the people on Second Life versus the average Brazilian who you know right. runs twenty four hours a day. Uh, so yeah, I just think it's funny though, to, to compare a, a virtual person to a human being. Um, you know, I would imagine that they're probably, I don't know how accurate it is, but I would imagine that, uh, it, it's got to, to run all those, those, uh, data centers to keep the, the world of second life going. Um, you know, well, it would be having, at least reasonably comparable to what have, an average having, person uh, would use. been in second life. See? They just need to hit that switch. <laughs> they just need to hit that switch. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> no reason to keep that going is all I'm saying. Okay. All right. All right. So, uh, I've got nothing more to say about Second Life. I've never tried it. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, you value your sanity. You just keep it that way. There are some cute things about Second Life. I wrote how Second Life works, all right? And uh-huh. it's there are some people who are legitimately using that as a way to make friends and and have fun conversations and chat about all sorts of stuff and they enjoy being able to modify their avatars and so I guess they're the ones who are chalking up these kilowatt hours because they're the ones who are going back over and over again. Mm-hmm. But then there's everything else. And there's a lot of everything else. Okay. Yeah. And everything else, I mean, like some pretty hardcore porn stuff. Okay, then. Yeah, it's special. Okay. Right. I didn't write too much about that in the article, but yeah. Wow. I Yeah. Okay. All right. So moving on. Yeah. So uh, do you have anything else about electricity? No, no. Um, I just wish that we were able to deliver a hard and definitive number and say so, this is absolutely it but i feel the same yeah, way so if there are any research institutions out there who wish to grant us three to four hundred thousand dollars to do a uh, study we will happily accept that money and we will see you uh, in our research center which happens to be on the big island of hawaii <laughs> um, it's just that was the best place we could put it so if you want to give us that we will um report back to you in 10, maybe 15 years. Okay, then. Sounds good to me. So I guess that just brings us round to Listener Mail. Oh, no. Today's Listener Mail comes from Chad from Montana. <clears throat> A big sky hello. First off, love the podcasts. You guys do an excellent job of explaining things in a way easily understood. You make tech stuff interesting and not overwhelming. Thanks. You're welcome. I have a question for you. I don't really recall hearing too much about bits and PCs until Windows Vista came out, and it seemed like it was front and center, and how software or hardware wouldn't be compatible anymore because one was on a 32-bit and the other was on a 64-bit. I'll be honest, I really don't even understand what they mean when they say 32-bit or 64-bit. And when I tried to ask a computer salesman what it meant, he couldn't even give me an easy answer. So this seemed like an excellent question for the Fab Tech Duo. How do bits work, and how is 64 different from 32? Trying to fit it into the how theme. If possible, please address Mac users and also Snow Leopard and Windows XP, Vista, and 7. Thanks. Well, Chad, here's the nice thing. 
is once you understand how this works, it applies to everything across the board. Yep. It's it's not something where it's different for Windows versus Snow Leopard versus anything else. So let's start with bits. Now, bits are your basic information units, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And they come in two varieties, zero and one. Unless you're using a quantum computer, in which case it can be yeah, both zero and one and everything in between. between. That's a qubit. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about quantum computers in some future podcast when both of us are ready to tackle quantum physics. But your basic bit is a zero or one. You can think of it like a switch, you know, it's like on or off. And then if you put two bits together, then suddenly you can have up to four integers represented. Also, you'll have a quarter. Ha ha ha, two bits. <laughs> nice. Shaving and a haircut. So, uh, but you can have up to, you can represent up to four different states using two bits. And by that I mean you could have a zero, 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 one, one, zero, or one, one. And so every single time you add a bit, you increase the number of integers you can represent. Um, and in general, and any, for any number of bits, it, re, it results in two to that number in integers. So if you were to use two bits, it'd be two to the power of two, which is four. Right. Uh, now 32 bit processor can handle up to 32 zeros and ones all strung together in various states. And that results in, oh, 4.3 billion integers. That's how many different integers you can have with a 32-bit system. That's quite a few. Yeah, but a 64-bit system. Now, 64-bit, that results in 1.8 times 10 to the 19th power integers, which I looked this up, is 18 quintillion integers. Now, if you're wondering what a quintillion is, it goes billion, trillion, quadrillion, quintillion. So it's lots. Mm -hmm. Now, when we're talking about a 32-bit system or a 64-bit system, we're really talking about the processor here. All right? Yep. So your processor, what it's doing is it has inf- it has a, a set of instructions that it has to uh, uh, complete upon a set of data. Now, the 32-bit or 64-bit, that refers to the amount, the, the kind of data that's coming into the processor. If it's a 32-bit processor, that means it can accept digits of up to the, the 32 bits. It can't accept anything more than that because it's just not capable of doing it. That's It's beyond its processing power. Uh-huh. So a 64-bit processor can process 64-bit information. So if you have a 32-bit processor, you cannot use an operating system that is the 64-bit variety because it is asking too much of your processor. It, 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 your processor can't handle that data flow. At least not normally. Not normally, no. And – why would you want, you know, why is this important? What's the 32-bit and 64-bit? What's the deal? It it becomes important when you're using really high-end applications, things like 3D modeling or video processing, video processing maybe some really, really heavy audio processing too yeah. that can also do it. But video processing really because you're talking about rendering and things like that. Um, if you are doing cryptography. Oh, yeah. Cryptography involves factoring very large numbers. So the more... The, the, the larger amount of information your processor can handle, the more complex you can make your, uh, your cryptography program so that it is very difficult to crack. So essentially it can handle more calculations. Yeah. 
And so yeah. more advanced, you're doing more advanced computing. You can handle more. Right. It can do bigger computing. calculations in the same amount of time that a weaker processor would do smaller calculations. I guess you could think of it that way. Okay. So yeah, uh, it's not that the 32-bit processor couldn't run the same applications. It probably could. It just would be much slower. Mm-hmm. So I hope that answers your question, Chad. Uh, we thought we'd take a stab at it at any rate. If any of you have any questions, you can send us email at our email address, which is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. And if you want to learn more about bits and bytes or electricity or the Internet, hey, guess what? We have articles on that. <laughs> They're all at HowStuffWorks.com. They are indeed. And it is an awesome website, and you should all go and visit and click on lots and lots of articles written by Jonathan Strickland. <laughs> so until okay. then, all I right. guess we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?